0: Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Oli Hine and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. Today we're looking at the exploits of a French and European champion from the early 1920s, who, it could be argued, became the first world champion. His name was Epinard. One of the only two films in existence that definitely shows Epinard racing is of him coming second. Further, his greatest ever performance was when he again finished second. Then again, you can take almost anything out of context and twist it. In fact, there is nothing incongruous about Epinard's place amongst these exalted thoroughbreds. He won plenty too, in deeply impressive fashion, and was enough of a European star to have the US beckoning him to challenge their best as long ago as the 1920s, thus blazing a trail that many decades later would morph into the Breeders' Cup. Owned and bred by Chanel co-founder Pierre Vertemer, French for spinach, was an underwhelming yearling. But he was sent into training with French-based American Eugene Lee. At the start of his two-year-old season, they weren't sure what to make of him. By the end of it, he was champion European two-year-old against an outstanding crop of peers. It started in Deauville, in the Prix Yakovlev, primarily against a two-year-old, whom leading trainer Willie Pratt swore was his best, and Epinard gave him a five-length panning. Soaking it all up at the glamorous seaside resort that day was a certain Ernest Hemingway, who proudly recalled later, Epinard won in a breeze, and I was able to support myself for six or eight months with my earnings. One can only imagine how. Epinard, soon after, effortlessly annexed the Grand Critérium, Critérium de Maison Lafitte, and the Prix de la Forêt, against older horses, with his sole loss being in the Prix Morny, where As was not uncommon in those days, he was left at the start facing the wrong way. By age three, Epinard was an imposing, muscular and handsome chestnut, but he had not been entered in the classics on either side of the channel, partly because his speed suggested he would never stay for a derby distance anyway. Nevertheless, he crushed all comers in France in his first four races that year, over distances from six to nine furlongs, including the Prix d'Ispan, and the Prix du Grand chêne usually ridden by another Euro-based American, Everett Haynes. Ambitions then grew to send him to topple England's best. The most prestigious sprint handicap at the time was the Six Furlong Stewards Cup at Goodwood. His reputation being what it was, he was allotted eight stone six pounds, far bigger than a three-year-old had ever carried to victory in that race. It made no difference, and he cantered in by two lengths. It was clear that the Brits were in awe of him as much as the French. He then returned to England in the autumn to take on the nine-furlong Cambridgeshire handicap, another of the very top prizes at the time. This time, he would be burdened with nine stone two pounds, considered impossible. Stabled at Newmarket in the week leading up to the race, he undertook a mile-long gallop, witnessed by jockey and subsequent journalist Jack Leach, who was on a parallel gallop starting fully a furlong ahead. We jumped off and came a good gallop. As we reached the end, Epinau was with us. In fact, he pulled up in the bunch as if he'd been with us all the way. I've never been so astonished in my life. Epinau, in fact, didn't win the Cambridgeshire, although he should have. That being said, he still blew the audience away. Drawn high, Haines had been told to bring him straight to the stand rails which Epinau did almost violently. Haynes then let him go, and Epinau was fully six-lengths clear and, with his swerving, had gone so much further than his competitors. He was caught right at the death by Verdict, carrying nearly two stone less, and who would go on to win the Coronation Cup the next year. Even in defeat, the audience knew what they had witnessed, with the word astonishing mentioned liberally. The performance, by common consent, Stamped Epinard as the best three year old in the world up to a mile and a little over, wrote the No Nonsense Bloodstock Breeders Review. The US racing scene agreed and wanted to see more. To that end, a series of international races were set up between the European champion and the cream from across the pond. As usual, it was the European horse who had to travel. It wasn't so easy in those days, but after some negotiating, Epinard and his team set sail in July 1924 from Cherbourg, on the Berengaria, whose owners had adapted part of the ship to accommodate their special cargo. Indeed, Epinard was big news at the time, and there were daily cables sent from the ship to the press to keep the public up to date. If the New York Times was anything to go by, the Americans were mostly amused that Epinard was being accompanied by 40 barrels of Evian spring water to quench his thirst on the journey. Bearing in mind the horse was originally born near Bordeaux, they speculated mischievously, why was he not being given wine? Thus, as a four-year-old, after a long sea crossing, Epinau took in four races, all on dirt that he clearly loathed, and with increasingly sore hooves, which were abnormally prone to getting thrush infections. He ran against sprinters over five furlongs, then milers, and finally against middle-distance horses over ten furlongs. Despite giving lumps more weight to carry, he came a close second in all of them, with the Americans realising that, despite these defeats, he would patently have won on turf, if not in agony. Even so, the starts of his races were by all accounts a sight to behold, as they had been throughout his career. In the days before starting gates, many swore that they had never seen a horse reach full tilt so quickly from a standing start. Once launched, he went like an arrow, one admiring US hack wrote. Another more melodramatic journalist in The Freelance reflected after the last of these gallant defeats, whether it be beast or man, the French die gloriously. In fact, Epinal's feet were so painful on the day of a match race with Sir Galahad III that he had to be literally dragged to the racetrack. He still only lost by a neck. In the fourth race, the Laurel Stakes, his tender hoof finally cracked after five furlongs and he pulled himself up in searing pain. The US had seen enough and made him champion American older horse. Subsequently retired and a hero on both sides of the ocean, each wanted a piece of Epinard, so he was shuttled repeatedly between studs in the US and France which wouldn't have done his condition much good. Epinard's closest companion was an old Airedale terrier named Peter who had travelled to the US and back with him, and whom he would tenderly carry around by the neck. His immediate output was unspectacular, although it is pleasing to note that many, many generations down the line, his distant, direct ancestor, Goldie Cover would carry those same famous Vertemere colours to victory in three successive Breeders' Cup miles. Years later, doubts swirled about Epinal's death. Initially, It was thought that the Germans had commandeered him post-invasion in 1941 and had worked him to death as a cart horse near Chartres. A harrowing enough tale, and one announced by French radio in 1942. But it was then thought that the eyewitness, a policeman and racing fan, may have been mistaken. So, racing historian John Harvey dug deeper. Dunkirk, spring 1940, a never-ending grey beach smothered in a colossal, retreating British land force, pincered on the coastline with limited protection from an equally under-pressure French army and with a huge Nazi war machine bearing down remorselessly. On the shore, in amongst hundreds of thousands of desperate soldiers, were countless horses, and one of them, more likely than not, was Epinard. Stolen from his stud, and doubtless still in pain from his sensitive hooves that never really recovered, the gentle 20-year-old stallion would likely have been filled with fear and confusion. With a flotilla of fishing boats soon to appear from England, a miracle would eventually arrive for the soldiers. But sadly, there was no miracle for Epinard. We cannot know whether in his last moments, before likely becoming a meal to starving soldiers, he still remembered those glorious performances of 17 years before, but moved as we are by this haunting image, We can only hope that his end was quick, respectful and merciful. It was the very least that this pioneering champion deserved. To find out more about this wonderful horse and other greats from the past, check out my book Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, This is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.